welcome to my third interview of Mindful Conversations. Today, I'm joined by my friend and coach, Amy, Amy Carlton. Hello. Uh, it's funny that Amy and I actually went to school together years and years and years ago. Well, not that long ago, but quite long ago. I mean, it was quite long ago. <laughs> um, and then we reconnected recently through the coaching world and through mutual friends. And I'm so excited today to have her talk about what she calls conscious parenting. I really want to know more about this. So thank you so much thank for coming. I've seen for several years now. You've got a, yes. a coaching practice in central London. Yes. Tell us more about why you became what you call a conscious parent coach. When you say I've been practicing, it feels like it feels like no time, but yeah, nearly 10 years. But it's evolved like into conscious parenting, coaching and working as a a kind of therapeutic coach in that area and I think with coaching it does transition we move and we kind of specialize for me um I really feel like my whole journey as a coach evolving into coaching in the first place came out of having children this massive shift of life this realization that what I was actually doing prior I was in the fashion industry for well nearly 15 years before moving into coaching and I felt that when I had my daughter I had a very serious bout of postnatal depression and I felt so alone I had no one around me that had small children I had strong 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 voices of culture and society and my own background and family and friends and, and none of it really fitted with what I felt intuitively and I kind of think I kind of went on a journey of trying to understand what was true because we're so surrounded by these kind of really strict frameworks and this really strong um, narrative of what it is to parent and what it is to be a mother and what it is what the parent-child relationship should look like and what we should expect and want for our children and none of it really fitted and so I really kind of took a step back and had to learn a completely different way and it was through my own survival that I went into coaching and then just the more I was coaching the more I was working with people I was understanding that really essentially everything that we're challenged by and uncomfortable with comes from relationship it's always about relationship whether it's your boss whether it's your partner whether it's your children but the most it's all relationship but the most challenging relationship you have is the one with your children because you cannot take space you cannot get away from it and it is so wrapped up in everything that you are and you were and they become a mirror to that and so deconstructing that and bringing consciousness and awareness to that actually results in removing so many symptoms that parents struggle with with their children and so that became a passion and I just kept evolving from that so I love it and I actually really want to understand and I think anyone that's watching might want to understand exactly what it means to be a conscious parent well I think the language actually I think the language in the coaching industry the self-development industry the mindfulness industry is really intimidating Mm. and so a conscious parent it sounds like some sort of magic ethereal thing that we need to learn how to like do and be and actually to be a conscious parent to look into conscious parenting and parent from a conscious perspective is really understanding yourself and becoming aware consciousness is awareness to become conscious is to become aware so to 
parent from deep awareness and to parent from deep awareness is stripping back the frameworks, stripping back your own triggers, your own childhood trauma, your own social constructs, your own religious beliefs, all of these things and all of these stories and all of these beliefs that we carry with us, they stand in the way of us and our children. So very often we're not looking at our children, we're looking at the story of how our children should be and how we should be, what it should look like based on how we grew up, our own experiences and what we've been taught from society around us. That's why it changes from culture to culture. So to become a conscious parent isn't like, oh, well, if I become a conscious parent, I'll have a perfect child. To become a conscious parent is to see when you're parenting or you're responding to the situation in front of you, aka your child, from your own lens, your own story, your own framework, and 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 dropping those, pulling them away, deconstructing them so that they are not standing in front of you and what is actually happening in front of you. So essentially conscious of yourself basically yes. and your stories yeah that is so it's really simple wow. it's, it's, it sounds like it's i think people take on conscious parenting or any kind of parenting tips mm. to try and get their kid to do something like if i do this then they'll be well behaved they'll do their homework they'll be motivated they'll be kind to their sibling they won't disrespect me and that in itself is a very manipulative approach it's just as human nature but we want that person to do what we need them to do so we can feel comfortable and when we become conscious of that kind of loop of that need some of that can fall away because actually What we want is to not have to need our child to do anything. We need to be able to be okay to be with our child for who our child is and where they are in that very moment and not feel triggered by that. Would you say that it's important to not respond straight away? So to be conscious, you have to firstly say, okay, where am I coming from with my responses? But it's so hard to do that in the heat of the moment. Well, it's so hard to do that in the heat of the moment because our brain chemistry doesn't let us. There's a big science so behind we it. Do? We've got our limbic system and it goes offline. When we get triggered, when something from our past gets triggered, which it inevitably does, anytime you lose it with a spouse, with a child, and when they lose it doesn't always mean losing your temper, but you go into a kind of, you feel shocked and very reactive to something. It is inevitably always something that has happened before in your life that you feel happening again in the present moment and your body goes into a protection mode Mm -hmm. and it does whatever it's used to doing to save itself in that moment. Mm -hmm. That's why we come out the other end and kind of go, why the hell did I do that? Oh my God, why did I do that? I knew what I needed to do in the moment because you're offline. So chemically, something's happening. And then the guilt comes in because you And then you the guilt comes in. But with acted in a certain way. With coaching, with training, with a deeper awareness, deeper consciousness, you can feel yourself getting triggered and take a beat. You know, we create a certain amount of space. It's not that the thing doesn't happen. Right. It's that you can see yourself reacting to the thing. Yeah. We start to learn our physiological responses. Yeah, yeah it takes time. Yeah. But the biggest misconception that is celebrated by society so much repeatedly today in the modern parenting world is if you don't deal with it now, you're not parenting. If you don't intercept the moment immediately, you're not being a good parent. You're letting it happen. You're accepting it, right? Especially with small children and teenagers, because actually they're having tantrums just like small children are. It's a whole, whole other thing. 
But we think if we don't challenge that very moment, then we've accepted something and we've created a monster. I mean, how many times do you hear that saying, you're going to create a monster? Actually, usually, when you're offline, they're offline. No one can hear you. The best thing you can do is take a moment, own it, recalibrate, and come back and say, we need to talk about this now. That wasn't acceptable. Mm. That isn't okay. And that's a big misconception of conscious parenting, is the assumption is, let all chaos let loose. Don't intervene. Don't deal with anything. Don't, don't. It's not that. Don't accept, you accept everything and let it all be. No, it's it's really not that. It's about being really present. Right. And allowing space and being really aware of yourself and yeah. stepping back and kind of going, okay, I need five minutes, coming back in. And then from a calmer perspective, when you're calm and they're calm, go, what was going on? And from that deeper level of understanding of what was going on, don't have to, oh, well, that's fine then. No, it still doesn't work, that but there are sense. other ways we can deal yeah. with this. You know, I, when I was reading about you and reading your website, um, you know, there was a, there was sort of a lot of things that I needed to kind of get clear. And now I know that actually it doesn't mean don't do anything. No. It just means choose your time and quite well. Absolutely. With, with, with um, the tantrum, what to do with the tantrum, and there's so many message outs out there that kind of say, don't do anything. Well, that that's not, you're not not doing anything. We need to be present. Mm. A tantrum is a child, whether it's a small tantrum or an adult tantrum, still a tantrum, mm. a child in need, a child struggling with their emotion. So we need to be present. We don't just sit there and kind of wait for it to end. We need to actually be really present and engage with it. I'm here. I see you. But we're not trying to make it go away. We let it have its course. An emotion, a big emotion, needs to go somewhere. And what we tend to do is we want to shut it down. Mm. And we think if we're not shutting it down, then we're not either, either helping them mm. or we're not parenting. And actually, that that emotion needs to go somewhere. And that emotion can be on the back end of smacking another kid around the head or as a, a, an older a teenager, you know, being maybe may violent or really, really rude. But in that moment, they are triggered themselves. Mm. We need to help them feel contained again and then, and then deal. So it takes a lot longer to be a conscious parent. Yeah. Because you've actually really got to engage in what's actually happening outside of all of your perceptions mm. and all of your stories. You know, we see our teenager absolutely losing it and being disgusting to us and the story is they've got no respect they're not going to be able to have relationships it goes all the way down the line none of that's true they're just really having a struggling hard moment they're offline and they need help to contain themselves okay so you're talking a lot about seeing past these behaviors of our children right because you want to get to the true issue yeah so you see past them but my worry is that in this process of trying to sort of allow children to act in certain behaviours that maybe isn't kind or disrespectful or whatever, you're ignoring boundaries Absolutely, and yeah. a degree of discipline that, you know, especially small kids actually need and really need to make them feel safe. So how do we strike that balance between what you're saying, being a conscious parent and looking past these certain behaviours, but also teaching them between, you know, right and wrong? Uh, Intuitively, we know what's right and wrong. As human beings, intuitively, we know what's right and wrong. No kid wants to hit the other kid. 
No kid wants to bite the other kid. No child really wants to be swearing bloody murder at their parent or ignoring rules and, you know, going out past curfew. And these, these are kind of very reactive behaviours in themselves, right? So it's a balance. We're not ignoring the boundaries. They need boundaries. They're asking for boundaries. They want to be contained. But there's a big difference between a boundary and a rule. Mm. There's a big difference between a boundary and a punishment. So there's natural consequences to things. And there's... In the moment when their child lets use younger children, because it's very easy to look at the behaviours of younger children as what's right and what's wrong. We look at the biting, for example, it's actually also really normal when they're very little to bite another so kid. Do There's no, they don't you have... respond to that if your child is biting you or Well, what we need to do sibling. is we remove the child from the situation immediately. We don't bite. We make that very clear. We you can't we can't bite and we can't use our hands or our feet. That was always what I used to say to Roger. We don't use our hands or our feet. But what we need to understand is why they were pushed to that in the first place. Not to make it right or wrong. It's not like, oh well they were really upset, so it's okay. It's that's irrelevant. But something happened in them that drove them to such fury and they felt so dysregulated mm. they did whatever they thought they needed to do to protect themselves, to bring themselves into a place of control, right? So a lot of it is asking why. We need to understand. And then we're going to have small children that can't articulate. Mm -hmm. So generally we know they were angry, they were frustrated. We hold space for that, remove, hold space. What's going on? What happened? Very often when we hear what happened, we say, yes, but we can't. Yes, but you don't. So we immediately negate, we completely invalidate whatever was going on for them. And there's an element of shame because then we tell them off. If we can, in a contained moment, hold the space just to hear what happened. So-and-so took my toy. That's huge for that three-year-old. That is the most important thing to have. That must have been really hard for you. You must have been so upset. Yes, I was so upset. That's really hard. You were so angry at Jimmy that you did that, yes, then it calms down a little bit. We've started to name what's going on. Yeah. They come back online. Must have felt really bad to bite Jimmy. I can promise you that kid is not happy that they bit Jimmy. Mm. So they can connect with their own feeling okay. of dissatisfaction around their behaviour. Okay. That didn't feel good. What might feel good? What do you think might be a better way? Because we really shouldn't use our hands enough. It doesn't feel good when we do that, does it? You're then connecting right it takes time and it takes patience and oh my god he's gonna bite jimmy again mm. that's the thing you've got to understand is that this stuff isn't one lesson like, process yeah, no that's we're very instilling true and understanding we're instilling an understanding that the child can connect back to themselves mm -hmm. to understand what was happening to regulate to communicate that three-year-old when they're seven has a far better way of communicating, regulating, understanding, taking space than the three-year-old that was shamed for doing it. Remind me again how old your kids are? Uh, nearly 14 and wow. nearly 11. Okay, so you've been through that toddler phase and you're entering teenage phases with your seconds. So. And, and understanding and seeing, in, in, I understand the science of all of it. And I have worked with countless clients who have been through it, but it's always different when it's your own. It's, right always you know far more impactful when it's your own it's very easy to see it from the outside but i have an intrinsic understanding that what's happening in my 14 year old's brain chemically is very similar to what happens in a three-year-old's brain chemically when they are struggling with emotion when they're triggered and 
that is really important thing to remember because it's much harder for us to have the patience and the understanding and the compassion for the teenager Very true. that's acting out. Because you expect more, because you think they're little adults. And we're closer to them in age, so it's closer to us, and we take it more, more personally. Yeah. We feel like it's a direct attack on mm -hmm. us, and we have to really work to stay away from that, stop, we stay in our lane as a parent. You talk about the conscious symptoms, which I think is really interesting. So the conscious symptoms of your clients, insomnia, depression, anxiety, phobias. So all these symptoms are, are a, basically a product of a much deeper issue. Yes, generally a product of our own past trauma and pain right. that we repress because we are a part of society like everybody else. Yeah. Um, because we've been shamed into, you get told enough times not to worry, then you stop worrying externally and you worry internally, you worry internally. Again, if you look at culture and you look at the Western world compared to other developing countries where they are still far more tribal and um, ceremonial in the way that they live their lives, they don't struggle with the same issues because they process their emotions in a different way. We need, um, we need our feelings to move through us. So a lot of the work that I do is very exploratory and we're working and it can feel like we're just jumping around and where's this going? And what you're finding is that actually symptoms dissolve as you start to kind of reconcile and integrate and experience and explore the things that have hurt that we've put in boxes. We're very good at putting things in boxes. And we don't want to go and get them out and take the lid off and see what's inside because we're scared of feeling. Right. We're meant to feel all our feelings. And some of those feelings are hard. Part of this work, coaching industry, I think makes us believe that if we do it all right and we tick all the boxes and we're mindful and we meditate and we get outside and we get empowered that life isn't going to be hard anymore or we're not going to be sad about things anymore or we're not going to be hurt by something. It's not true. Life is about feeling all feelings. But it's getting to a place where we feel safe to feel the hard feelings and be in the hard place. We've talked about this before. Be it, and it's kind so of okay. getting better at feeling sad. Yeah. Getting better at feeling pain. What do we make it mean? We have so much shame around feeling anxiety we have so much shame around feeling pain we feel lesser than if things bother us being able to roll with those feelings if you didn't have the shame around it, it wouldn't be quite so hard to stay there yeah exactly so doing that works so i think it's really really important. this really resonated with me it was in your bio and you said i wasn't living a life i was living patterns and habits mm. and it really made me think about my patterns <laughs> good really <laughs> And then I started getting a bit confused between my patterns, habits, and then routine. Yeah. So from your experience and your perspective, how can I differentiate between that? Between what is my routine and what's my habits? Well, what works and what doesn't? To ask myself that. Yeah, because... We what do you are, mean by work? Well, we're looking for problems all the time in human. It's like human nature. We're looking, looking for the problem, but what's wrong? What's, what's if it's not a problem? It's not a problem. If you're doing something every day that fills you up and feels great and is serving you and your relationship, why would you? 
that's great. That's a routine. That's true. If it's it's very simple answer. If, if, something's kind yeah. of to- if you can see yourself repeatedly having the same argument with your children, repeatedly feeling frustrated by the same things, repeatedly feeling stuck, repeatedly snapping at your partner over the same things, those are patterns. You're in habits and loops. They're not serving you. You're doing something repeatedly that's putting you in a place of discomfort, dissatisfaction, frustration. Then we need to look at that. But if it's working in terms of I feel good, I feel alive, I feel strong and I feel powerful. I think that's really a really important thing because sometimes we don't feel good and we do feel sad. We are having a hard time, but in our essence, we still feel powerful. Mm. We still have got this. Mm. That's great Mm. because that's life. So um, I would say a routine is something that works and I a think, pattern yeah, is something that doesn't. That really makes sense. And about noticing how much it repeats. Yeah, oh God, look, I'm here again. Because it will yeah. repeat. Because if something, if there's a pattern that is constantly in your life, however small it is, yeah. it's... Um, Doing what you always did, get what you always got. Exactly. And nothing changes if nothing changes, which is my favourite. Because people don't want to change. I love that. Yeah. Nothing changes you if said nothing that. changes. That's a good quote. Uh, actually, as uh, someone I did some work with a long time ago said it to me, and I carry it forward. Nothing changes. It's true. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Like, how badly do you want change? How, because we all want independent, autonomous, self-confident, joyful, happy children that know their mind and will speak their mind. But not if it means we have to change, really. Not if we have to do that. We want them to do the work. Mm. We want them to do the work. Really, we need to just show them how to be that. Mm. That's the best. That is, if you want those children, do it. Be it yourself and invite it when they show their strengths. We don't go, oh yeah, be really autonomous and like really know your own mind, but not with me. Not with me. I'm going to tell you what to do with things. Don't challenge me. Challenge everyone else. Very quick fire round. Just answer yes or no. Oh God. Okay, that's really Should we push our kids to do homework if they don't want to do it? No. <laughs> is there a different approach to boys and girls? Yes, there's a different approach to people. Okay, is there such thing as middle child syndrome? Yes. Is motherhood nature or nurture? You can say nature or nurture. Not yes or no. Is motherhood nature or nurture? Nurture. Interesting. I think it's bullshit that, parents, that mothers should feel like they should know what the hell to do. I have got no idea how to raise a 15-year-old because I haven't had one. Well, I actually agree. I think it's nurture too. We have to, we, that's the, 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 one of the biggest things we struggle against is that we think we should know what we're doing. Well, a lot of people, uh, I've been talking about it with my friends at the moment, about this whole idea of, you know, are we born to, like, be, like, instinctive mothers? And absolutely not I there's think no way we are learning it every day and we're muddling yeah. by and we're doing our best and and that kind of honesty and ownership is the best thing we can give our kids when we own our own humanness we give them the opportunity to own their own humanness yeah. too and say sorry I messed up to them I'm and that's sorry okay. I messed up exactly. we're human and we're never gonna do the perfect things no we're definitely not I think we're the only thing we're really born with is that we're all good we're all born good and if we can remember that, that we're not born calculated and we're not born trying to screw with each other, all comes back Something to Something happens born to create those behaviours. But that is for another conversation because we are coming to the end now. And I want to thank you so much. Thank you for This has been me. so interesting <laughs> and everyone's very lucky to have listened to you talk about that. Thank you for listening to me. <laughs>